0: Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore, to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics, listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Today, we have an update for the Vallo Daybell case. We haven't done this in a while, but now one of the trials is upon us. So we want to update you. I feel like we were like waiting, waiting, waiting. And then I'm, it was just, it's here. I also fully expected another continuance. Yeah. Yeah. I texted Lindsay the other day and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like in the car <laughs> and looked at a calendar. And I was like, oh, that's that's coming really, really fast now. So we're recording this on Monday, the 27th. So it's as fresh as possible for our Friday release because we don't want things to come out in the meantime. And I just don't even understand where this month has gone. No, no, I'm not ready for April. But if you've been following the case with us, you know, it is like a weird sci-fi book in a sense, right? Just what a journey. Honestly, I'd call it a bad Lifetime movie. And they made one. Well, it is. I know. It really is. I know. (laughs) But if you are fully new to this case, it may be helpful for you to listen to our previous episodes. And we do have an update episode as well with like a quick recap and what's happened in 2022. So you can listen to that real quick and then come back so that you can be ready. If you haven't listened to anything and you want to start from the beginning, Our first episode on it is called Sinister Love, and it's from a few years ago already, which is wild to me too, right? I feel like we just did that. And we have a link in our show notes to a playlist that is just our episodes that have updates on this case. Early on, we were doing our True Crime Digests, and they had that in mixed in. So for some of them, it's a bit of a mix. And so today, we'll kind of tell you what what it looks like going into the trial. Let's start with Lori's 2023 alibi filing, because this was nonsense, to say the least. Well, also just like, it was filed in January of 2023. Yeah, yeah. And when was she arrested? Her arraignment was in 2022. That's wild. Yeah. But anywho. Well, in this filing, she stated that JJ and Tylee were killed at her brother's apartment, which would have been Alex Cox. I talked about it before. His apartment was a very, very brief walk away from hers. According to the notice of alibi, Lori was in her apartment when JJ and Tylee died. And that's interesting to me because she says that she was with Melanie Gibb, David Warwick, and or Chad Table. But as we've discussed before, that would make that particular evening the night of that podcast recording. And that's when Melanie and David came to visit Lori. And from everything that we've heard during that weekend, only JJ was seen, not Tylee. So per clues that we've been given throughout the case, Tylee would have likely been killed in early September, which would have been before this visit came. So it just all around doesn't make sense. Agreed. Agreed. And then the document continues that Lori was in Hawaii when Tammy died, and Tammy was Chad's wife, and she was with Melanie Boudreaux and or Audrey Baratirio. Which, again, convenient, right? Now, the state's response to Lori's notice of alibi was released in March, and it has a fairly long list of witnesses in rebuttal to refute Lori's claims. And I just want to say this includes Melanie Gibb, Melanie Pulowski, and David Warwick. So I want to see what Lori's side of this is because nothing she's saying makes sense. Yeah. And then them to go, "Mm, no, Tylee wasn't there, or text messages to prove she was in on it. I don't think that there was ever going to be an allegation that Lori was literally there when it happened, just that she was there for the planning of it Mm -hmm. and that she had a hand in, oh, you can take my children. They were her children. She was responsible for their well-being. And if you hand over your children to someone who you know is going to murder them. I feel like it's very reasonable that you would be held responsible for that. Agreed. And also, when Laurie and Chad's indictment first came out, we went through and I broke down how to read the criminal statute on like how to look at what is first degree murder. Well, and also what's interesting to me is that she says Melanie Gibb was her alibi for the night that both kids were murdered, right? But then later went on to say that JJ was with Melanie Gibb in Arizona, Remember when she was interviewed? Mm -hmm. She's like, oh, they're watching a movie. Nothing makes sense. We're going to get into this later, but I really don't think that it even occurs to Lori that she could be held responsible for this. Oh, yeah. Think she still thinks she's going to get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back to the alibi filing. The case's response also said that the alibi filing was not timely because her arraignment was in mid 2022. So why didn't that come up? Before now. (laughs) Yeah, that was a bit ago. So we're going to move into another filing, and that's Lori's motion to dismiss the death penalty. And basically what this is, is that Lori's counsel is trying to remove the death penalty as a possible sentencing option. In their filing, Lori's counsel cited media saturation, discovery violations, Lori's mental illness, as well as the state's lack of execution chemicals as reasons that the death penalty shouldn't be on the table. Her counsel has a very dramatic quote that we felt like it was important to include. The government wanting to kill a mentally ill person is a troubling thought. The fact of defendant's mental illness is known to the court and the government. This past week, the government submitted an opinion that maybe the defendant wasn't mentally ill, but just evil. Even if the government's new opinion of the defendant has some believers that the defendant is just evil, we don't kill witches anymore in America. (laughs) I laughed out loud when I was reading that the first time. Sir, what are you saying about witches? Don't you dare compare witches to Lori Vallow. What a fucking insult to witches. Yeah. Yeah. I do not love that Idaho is one of just four jurisdictions in the United States where you can't bring in a person's mental condition when you're talking about how they plead or in their defense. I think as a whole, it's just a bad practice. I haven't always loved the filings from Rob Wood, but I haven't seen a court filing where the state has said a person's evil, because that's problematic. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not there. I just... Dozens and dozens of court filings. I mean, yeah. Or Lindsay Blake, who I'm a general fan of. Well, I just imagine him in a desk, though, like with a shoulder shrug. Like, well, maybe she's just evil. And leave it at that. End of case. Do you not picture Rob Wood in a permanent shoulder shrug position? <laughs> Am I wrong there? Does... I'm doing it and I'm like, there's no difference in the picture. You know, like, (laughs) (laughs) either way. But the filing that I think that they are referencing is (laughs) that I laugh because this, to me, it was silly. We're going to talk more about mental condition in terms of defense. But you cannot bring in evidence of mental condition during the guilt phase of the trial, which is basically when you're determining whether a person is guilty or not, right? You can bring it in during the sentencing, but you can't bring it in during the guilt phase. And the state had an expert witness, which is Michael Wilner, M.D., that they wanted to testify during the guilt phase. And they can't do that if he's a mental health person. Like, and that's what he talks about. Right. Because you can't talk about mental health in that portion if you can't talk about mental health. Right. Right. On Twitter, Wilner describes himself as A forensic psychiatrist, the chair of the forensic panel, which is a pioneer of forensic peer review, and the depravity standard, and he's an examiner of precedent cases. So this sounds like clinical mental health person to me. It does. Per Lori's counsel's filings, the state was trying to include Wellner as a, quote, religious expert or an expert on, quote, unquote, (laughs) evildoers. (laughs) Yikes. We are trying I mentioned it a moment ago, but this filing also talks about, you know, the fact that there's not a way to put someone to death. And they cite that there is a person who has been on death row for 35 years because the Idaho Department of Corrections just can't find the medicine to conduct the execution. And because of that, they are considering following South Carolina's introduction of death by firing squad. And... I am not saying that as a nation, we are not collectively rooting for a very intense justice for people who murdered children. There's no world in which that is appropriate for the government. That is a completely barbaric and disgusting way of justice by the state. Yeah. That is just, it seems archaic. It's archaic. I don't know how that wouldn't be cruel and unusual punishment. It just doesn't make sense to me. And the fact that in an absence of a peaceful death, which from what I've heard is still painful, you have this other version. I am especially concerned about Death by Firing Squad as a capital punishment. Yeah. When you do not have the ability to bring in mental health into your case. I think I just saw actually the other day that... A lawmaker, I want to say in Tennessee, suggested bringing back hangings as well. Amanda and I have talked about like in other episodes, you can like push yourself into your best reality. I feel like I am in the worst version of the reality. Yeah. The news is not a fun place. No. Ugh. Ugh. I had to check it. Yeah. Yeah. Tennessee GOP. Fucking, of Of course it is. Of course it is. If this is your first time... At True Creeps, you are welcome to stay, but we are incredibly liberal and unapologetic about it. So if that's not your cup of tea, have a great day. So, okay, back to Laurie's motion to dismiss the death penalty. We're going to talk about the outcome of this in a couple minutes because we're going to get to an answer in a kind of, in a a way that I didn't expect. Yeah. So we're going to move to state discovery and repercussions. In late February, the state provided their last round of discovery that included thousands of pages of documents, recordings, videos, and the results of the DNA tests. Lori didn't waive her right to a speedy trial, so her trial is set to begin on April 3rd, which is very soon. (laughs) Yeah. Judge Boyce removed the death penalty as a possible sentence for Lori because it's unlikely that Lori's counsel could sift through the late February discovery dump. Which, again, thousands, thousands of pages. There's so much going on. Even Laurie's counsel was like, I wish I could push for continuance, but she doesn't want to waive her rights. She's very adamant about it. It absolutely seems bizarre to us that Laurie would not waive her right to a speedy trial because she's making it harder for her counsel to effectively represent her. She's literally making her life harder right now when it doesn't have to be. And we're wondering if it's maybe that she's a narcissist and really believes that she's going to be acquitted or someone in the portal told her to, you know, like, I think those are the only options from now on. Does she even have it? She doesn't have a closet now, though. Where's her portal? I don't know, like a corner portal. So let's actually talk about narcissistic personality disorder, because I don't know, I'm pretty certain she has it. And to truncate it, it's NPD. NPD. And the symptoms include a pattern of grandiosity, which is fantasy or behavior, the need for admiration, lack of empathy, and it usually begins in early adulthood. Now, it has to be indicated by at least five of the following. And this is all really scary because it's literally everything we've said about Lori in our past episodes. I also feel like so far it's like check, 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 check. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, clearly. Double check sometimes. So we're going to emphasize a few of these. So... Has a grandiose sense of self-importance, like exaggerates achievements, expects to be recognized as superior without actually completing the achievements. Or I mean, she's a god. Yeah, I was like, right? she's a translated being, right? Like she's yeah, of course got superpowers. Of course. So check. Do you have your clipboard ready? Okay. Yes, I do. Is preoccupied with fantasies of success, power, brilliance, beauty, or perfect love? Literally all of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's like we're writing about Lori. It is. Believes that they are special and can only be understood by or should only associate with other special people or institutions. I feel like we should have a siren going or like that, like, like sound effect with that one. Yeah. When I was reading this, ugh, chills. Yeah. All of this. All of it. Yes. So another one requires excessive admiration. Mm -hmm. Has a sense of entitlement, such as an unreasonable expectation of favorable treatment or compliance with his or her expectations. I think so. Is exploitative and takes advantage of others to achieve their own ends. Yep. Check, 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 check. Lacks empathy and is unwilling to identify the needs of others. Yeah. Is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of them. Mm Mm-hmm. This one shows arrogant, haughty behaviors and attitudes. So uh, I think she got more than five there. Yeah, I think 10 for 10. Yeah. So it's also classified under the umbrella of cluster B personality disorders, which typically presents with overtly emotional or unpredictable behavior, which again, she was pretty unpredictable, right? And what I thought was interesting is what can contribute to the occurrence of NPD in adulthood. There's a number of things, but some of them were being rejected as a child, developmental experiences, negative in nature, fragile ego during early childhood. Also, I thought this was interesting, kind of odd, excessive praise, including the belief that the child may have extraordinary abilities, and that can lead to it. I think that makes sense, though, because when you're looking at a person who believes that they're very special and all of these things, without any reason to think that, Well, I could see how that could start in childhood. Yeah. Yeah. And it also can be challenging because the presentation of this can vary, which would make sense because all of those, which we said is all of Lori, but it can be thought of as like charming or outgoing or she was in beauty pageants and things like that. So, like, those things kind of naturally have some of this occur, if that makes sense. And one other thing I wanted to bring up is from the National Library of Medicine, and it says, quote, In the outpatient setting, individuals can be well-related and high-functioning, while in the inpatient setting, they can be some of the most aggressive and challenging patients. Most of the time, NPD patients come into contact with clinicians during emergencies, where most often than not, they are noted to behave aggressively. And I thought that was interesting that most of the time when they do end up somewhere, it's because of an emergency, and all I thought of was like, when Charles had her evaluated the first time Mm -hmm. and like, that's where they should have caught it originally. This also really makes me think of, we talked about this really early on in one of our updates when she was in jail and somebody who was in a neighboring cell talked about her and how she was like preening and was like, everybody's talking about me and had that kind of demeanor and attitude. And even when you look at what's happened over the past couple of months this year, When they show her leaving a gas station and she smiles and like waves at reporters. It's like, you understand that the only reason that people know your name or care about you as a human is because of the awful things you've done. It's not because people like you. No. I don't even think that clicks. No, not at all. Because otherwise you wouldn't be smiling at reporters, ideally. I think she just, she thinks she's famous and she thinks she's a celebrity now. I think that she is under the misguided notion that there are people who think that she did the right thing because she was so bought into the belief structure or can't fathom a world where she can't con her way out of this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're we're guessing that all of that is the reason why she's like, I don't need to waive that right to a speedy trial because I'm fine. I can't think of any other reason why. There are advantages to being the first trial. But if her counsel is even saying, I wish we could have done a continuance. Yeah, they're scared already. So Pryor on behalf of Chad filed a motion to sever the cases, which he has done many times, right? And he was unsuccessful in the past. Per Pryor, Chad's right to a fair trial would be infringed because he did not have adequate time to review the discovery. And his expert wouldn't have enough time to review the DNA. He also argued, again, that the state didn't give him evidence that the state told him numerous times that would be available by appointment from either the Fremont County Sheriff's Department or with the prison. So he's just like, but I didn't get it. And they're like, well, we told you how to get it. He's like, but I didn't get it. However, this time, Judge Boyce did grant the motion to sever the cases. And that happened on March 3rd of 2023. And as he was saying it, Boyce did not sound happy about it. One of the things that I thought was really, really interesting was when they were talking about the late February discovery dump. One of the things that Lori's counsel pointed out was that they have received not from the state, but from third parties recorded interviews between a third, between someone else and Chad while he was in custody. Yikes. I am on the edge of my seat. To a certain extent, we thought we kind of knew everything. And we've made a lot of assumptions about where we think people in Chad's life fall. I think we're going to find that that's not the case during the trial. Because one of the things that happened this year was that they sealed all of the people who were going to be witnesses. We have what they've provided before. But the additional and the updated subpoena witness list we don't have. Mm-mm. Yeah, I can't wait to see who all these people are. Well, so now the cases are separated. And so that means Lori's is going to happen on the 3rd. Chad's will not be happening on the 3rd like we originally thought. Mm -hmm. So remember how I said Judge Boyce did not seem thrilled, right, about severing the cases? Part of the reason of that is because of, obviously, money. It's going to likely cost a lot more. And something I thought was just wild is from 2019 to 2022, it has already cost around $3.6 million. That's the taxpayers, right? That's an incredible amount of money for these jurisdictions that are not incredibly affluent areas with really high property values. That's a lot, a lot. This is a a substantial chunk. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's going to be more. So prosecutors estimate moving the trials to Ada County will cost Madison and Fremont counties an estimated 600000 more. But also, that was before the trials were severed. So there's not even an updated estimate of how much this is going to cost them now. I would be incredibly surprised if there wasn't a plea agreement after this. Interesting, right? I mean, it, it would make sense because it's just, that's so much money. When also, once... We hear it all for the first time. Mm -hmm. That second jury has heard everything already. So finding a non-biased jury, how? What they're hoping, though, is just for some sort of plea agreement. I'm sure they'll be hoping for a plea agreement. And having the death penalty on the table currently means that life in prison is a thing you can make a deal for. And they do not deserve a quick moment and then to be reincarnated as gods again or to think that that's going to happen. Like, I don't want them to think like, oh, well, our life will end and then we'll come back even more powerful because X, Y, Z. I want them to, like, live in a tiny little room and eat bad food yeah. forever. Give, give them immortality. Make them live this existence disgustingly long. Lindsay, she doesn't even need food. Remember? <laughs> She's like, God translated being. (laughs) Speaking of a translated being, let's talk about Lori's mental state some more. (laughs) Good segue. I, I thought it was. In 1982, Idaho abolished the insanity defense, which means that a defendant cannot plead that they are not guilty by reason of insanity. Additionally, they cannot claim that a particular element of a crime cannot be satisfied or proven because of mental illness. And I want you to think about that when it comes in terms of like intent, because a lot of crimes require that you intend to do the thing. And if they can't prove that you have the mental wherewithal to intend to do something, it makes that really difficult. Yeah. And Idaho is one of only four states that doesn't allow this. And it presents interesting and unique issues when it comes to their incarcerated population. How ethical is it to incarcerate someone who is mentally ill, especially knowing our prison system? We know that we don't have a good and just prison system that is built to rehabilitate people. You don't say. Yeah, Yeah, it all's fucking terrible. Shock. But so basically this means that Lori cannot claim that she isn't responsible because of mental illness when she was deemed not mentally competent. A lot of people thought that that meant that she was trying to get away with what she had done and that she wasn't going to be held responsible because of this. That's just not true. She can. It's just she can't be acquitted because of her mental illness. It doesn't. I mean, if she presents a good defense otherwise, perhaps she does get acquitted. It just can't be attributed to her mental illness. But evidence of her mental condition may be included when they get to the sentencing portion of her trial. So that's what after she's been convicted. And when the court is examining mental condition in relation to sentencing, some factors that they should consider are the extent to which the defendant is mentally ill, the degree of illness or defect and level of functional impairment, the prognosis for improvement or rehabilitation, the availability of treatment and level of care required. Any risk of danger which the defendant may cause to the public, if at large, or the absence of such risk. The capacity of the defendant to appreciate the wrongfulness of his or her conduct or to conform her or his conduct to the requirement of the law at the time of the offense charged. So let's assume we get to the sentencing part of the trial and they are like, let us tell you about her mental condition. Maybe she gets 30 years in prison. Maybe she gets life. In either of these situations, or if she got three months, in any of these situations where she is given either time in prison or probation, there is a possibility that she could spend at least a portion of her sentence in a mental health facility. Per Idaho statutes, if a person is deemed insane after they have been convicted and they are sentenced to either probation or to be in prison, they have to be in a facility that has adequate security, and has adequate treatment possibilities. And we looked to find out, like, what would that look like? Does it mean that Laurie could go to, like, a place that's comfortable? Does it mean that she could have a good life? We can't find anything on what post-conviction mental health facilities look like in Idaho. That was a mouthful to say. And it's such a particular piece of information because, again, Idaho is just one of four states that have this. And when you're thinking of the mental health of prisoners, it's not high on most people's priority list, right? We can just as a society agree that people once convicted of a crime don't receive a lot of human dignity. Regardless of what you feel about this case, I'm pro-human dignity. Our prison system is not meant to be simply punishment. There are people who have shorter sentences where you serve your time and presumably you have your penalty and you're rehabilitated and you go out and you become a productive member of society. Yeah. And I think that we should be able to do that. And you can't do that if you don't address mental health. So that being said, we don't know what kind of facility she could be in. Now, we could look at what kind of facilities could a person be in if they didn't get to the trial portion and if they were never deemed mentally competent. Yeah. And those definitely don't look great. And I mean... Not necessarily where Lori can go, but what others have said in different states is that some wish they would have gone to prison instead, or that once you're there, you don't get out. And at least in prison, you have a sentence, but when you are in one of those, it's unknown and everything's kind of unknown. Another thing that I thought was interesting is that in a facility like that, every decision that you make is deemed almost like a symptom instead of a decision or a choice. So one example I heard was like, if you don't feel like eating dinner that night, or maybe you don't like what they made, and you just want to chill in your room, they may put that down as a symptom to your mental illness, rather than you just didn't like that food that night. Whereas if they're convicted, if they don't feel like eating that night, they're going to be like, eh, they didn't want it. So they're like, a lot of my choices are taken away. And and, you know, one might be better than another for certain reasons. But they did not seem like great places to be. When also in prison, you have commissary. In one of our episodes, we had a weird thing we found where it was like what Chad likes to eat in prison. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. It was bizarre. It was like, he really likes jerky. But like in that same situation where you're having some type of autonomy, you have even less. If you think about it this way, too, probation is means you're out of prison and that if you commit an offense or you violate probation, then you go back to prison. Right. You can be committed during your probation. So say you were supposed to get three years plus five years probation. That means that you could be committed for eight years. So to determine whether they would have treatment, the court needs to conclude by clear and convincing evidence the following. The defendant suffers from a severe and reliably diagnosable mental illness or defect resulting in the defendant's inability To appreciate the wrongfulness of his conduct or to conform his conduct or her conduct to the requirements of law. The immediate prognosis is for major distress resulting in a serious mental or physical deterioration of the defendant. Treatment is available for such illness or defect, and that the relative risks and benefits of treatment or non treatment are such that a reasonable person would consent to treatment. I think that's all just important to note. There's a general concern. Okay, she said she's not mentally competent. Does that mean she's going to get away with it or that she's going to have a comfy life if she is convicted? No. I think the answer is no in both circumstances. Yeah. For like reasons, one might be better than the other, but neither of them are great options. And we love that for her. I love that for her. So let's move on to cameras in the courtroom because I've seen everyone talking about this now that the trial is upon us, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit surprised by this. I am too. So a couple months ago, Judge Boyce ordered that there will not be cameras or a live stream available to the public for the trial. Chad actually filed a motion in opposition to this. Not surprisingly, the Woodcocks are also not happy with this because they want the world to know what happened to JJ and Tylee and what they did to their family. Do you have any theories as to why Judge Boyce wouldn't want cameras in the courtroom? We've talked about cameras in the courtroom in other cases, by the way, like Damien Eccles is a really big proponent for that. Yeah. He talked about how during his trial, he felt some things wouldn't have happened if there were cameras keeping everyone accountable. And so sometimes cameras can keep people accountable. But why do you think that Judge Boyce may not have wanted it here? Because I don't he doesn't strike me as a person who's trying to just not share what he's doing. Right. Well, I mean, we went the reason why they got banned originally is because of a microphone issue. Right hmm. So I'm kind of like, I, I've fought with myself several times about this because I'm like, what does he not want out there? Or does he just not want the scrutiny on him? Because a lot of people are already pissed for a lot of his decisions. Mm-hmm. And I mean, a small town judge. He's doing the best he can. The amount of scrutiny he's already under. I don't know if maybe he was just like, just let me live my life after this. I don't want it to just be my whole life, you know? Mm -hmm. My theory is, is that he is trying to eliminate as much bias from potential future jury pools as possible. I mean, yeah, that would make sense, too. Because, one, there is a world in which there's a mistrial. Say Lori brings up her mental illness during the trial when she should not have. They could do a mistrial. Say they find out that there's been some type of juror issue. There could be a mistrial. We also know that Chad's going to go next. And I'm surprised that they're severed. But it's not too surprising because Pryor has been trying to get these cases separated from the beginning. Yeah, day one. So it's reasonable to think that there may have been a time when one was going to go than the other. And then to put the cherry on top, after Laurie and Chad are convicted, sentenced, they're in the appeal era of their life because they'll appeal these to forever. That's what people do. Yes, yes. Who do you think they're going to go after? We know that they can't go after Zulema. But can they go after Melanie Gibb? Yeah. Can they go for Melanie Pulowski? I think they can. And I think that if these cases are televised, they will have a harder time finding a jury in those cases. I mean, that that does make sense. That's why I think that they're doing that, because I can't see any other reason to not. Because he's already under enough scrutiny. Yeah. And the Woodcocks are very loud in the best way in trying to get justice for JJ and Tylee. Yeah, I saw an interview with Larry earlier, just going about how he he just wants to see something happen. And it just still makes me sad when I hear his voice. Yeah, always Larry. So interestingly, Justin Love, the reporter from Arizona, mentioned that there is no designated seating for members of the media, and that they need to make a reservation the business day before. Yikes. Which is going to be a madhouse. That sounds horrific. Yeah. Also, he mentioned the audio files are $5 for the first 20 minutes and 25 cents per following minute, which it seems wild to me to monetize a trial. But then, you know, looking back at it, how much is this costing them? In terms of court records, it's pretty standard that you'll have to pay for them because there is a person who is providing these to you. Yeah. But I mean, like, Had there been cameras, the world would have seen it. But now everyone is going to be relying on this. I think they're going to have like overflow rooms from what I read. Mm -hmm. But still, it's not enough for everyone. Yeah. So let's talk about the world's sexiest topic, which is jury selection. (laughs) The reason why we're talking about that is because on Monday, when Laurie's trial is scheduled to begin, which is April 3rd, that's what we're going to start with. And so let's talk about how it works. Because if you don't know, it might seem very nebulous. Look, do I find the boring parts of the law incredibly interesting and fascinating? Yes. So buckle in. The potential jury pool will be citizens from Ada County because that's where the case is on purpose so that they aren't as biased as Fremont County folks. The names of the jury are drawn at random from a list of registered voters and licensed drivers. Sometimes jurors will receive questionnaires before the trial begins. For Laurie's trial, the potential jurors have already been notified that they have jury duty and they've already completed those questionnaires. And the questionnaires are used to determine, before they even step into the courthouse, if there's existing bias. When the jurors report to jury duty, they will begin the process of Wadir. Well, and basically during this process, what's, what's happening is potential jurors will each be asked questions from the attorneys and the judge. And what they're doing is they're narrowing down this pool. Jurors can be excused from jury service if they have a personal or financial relationship to any party in the case or if they could demonstrate an inability to be fair during the trial. And when we mean any party, you could be a distant cousin of one of the attorneys. You could be a neighbor to Laurie at one point. It could be far reach, but anything with anyone in the case, including law enforcement, including law enforcement. Yeah. And oftentimes they'll say like, do you have a relative who's in law enforcement? Yep. Because, you know, if Say you're married to a cop. You might be more inclined to believe what a cop has to say. Yeah. Both the state and the defense will have a limited number of peremptory strikes, and that's basically when they get to excuse a juror. Now, keep in mind, they can excuse a juror for most anything, except sex or race. You cannot cut all women from a jury. Can't cut all men from a jury. You cannot seek to have a jury that is all one race sometimes attorneys will retain the services of jury experts to help them determine which jurors are predispositioned to be more favorable to their cases, which... That's so weird to me. It's so weird to me, but I find it fascinating, but I find it truly awful as well because it means that people who have more money might have a better time getting off. I mean, like, you know, like, oh, you have a better defense attorney. Like, maybe you're going to get off, right? Yeah. But like the fact of like all the different services that you can now have, it makes it a little scarier. Mm -hmm. So once the jury is selected, they'll be asked to swear or affirm that they will render a true verdict according to the law and the evidence. One of the biggest concerns in this case that we've heard over and over and over and over is that media exposure would taint a potential juror's ability to remain impartial before they've heard the state and the defendant's cases. When you're a juror, You are expected to say whether the state has proven beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant is guilty or not guilty of the crime based on the evidence presented to you in the trial. You should not be considering anything else. So you shouldn't consider what your neighbor told you, what you read. If you are a person who is an attorney, you shouldn't consider what you actually already know about the law and how you might think about it. You're supposed to leave every bit of information you have at the door and only take in what you're hearing in the actual trial. And that includes media from outside of the trial, which is sometimes why juries can be sequestered so that they don't hear outside media during the trial, which, by the way, this case is not going to be sequestered despite the state trying to. It's going to be a very wild time in Idaho during this. It really, really is. It's a really hard task to say, I've heard about this case, but I can remain impartial. I can listen to what everyone has to say. Especially this one. Especially this one or any case when you have children involved. Yeah, that's fair. But I feel like this one just, it doesn't only get true crime people invested in this case because it's so wild and because it includes so many different states. So like the interest is peaked for a lot of different types of people rather than People that are just interested in true crime. I think that people who have an overlapping interest, like say you are a doomsday prepper, right? Live your truth. As long as you're not hurting people, sure. Think what you want to think. Have your bunker in the middle of nowhere. I don't care. But like, wouldn't you be kind of frustrated that this is the name that people are giving you? Say you were a person who shares common religious beliefs with Laurie, the non-problematic ones. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I believe she she was a member of the LDS church. Yeah. So. If you, too, are a member of the LDS church, you might be really frustrated that this is now what people think of people with your beliefs, that they believe that murdering children is fine. And I could see how you could be mad about that. Oh, yeah. And I could also just see how a random average person with literally no overlap could be mad about this because I'm an average person with no overlap and I'm mad about it. That's fair. Yeah. So with all of that being said, after the jury is selected, there's going to be a lot going on very quickly. Mm hmm. And the trial can last weeks, months. It may not. It could. It's going to last a long time though, I'm guessing, because of how many people that have to be brought in. So with that being said, we can't update every single day <laughs> about this case. So the easiest way to do updates will be through our social media. So as they come out, we will be updating on our social media platforms about Lori's trial. So if you don't already follow us, All of our handles are in our outro. Make sure to follow us. And throughout all of this, we'll try to update you as quickly as possible on social media. We'll still have some updates coming up in the future, but that'll just be the fastest way to do it. So how are you feeling about Lori's trial? Overwhelmed. Surprised. I can't believe we're actually here. We're finally here. It's happening. Yeah, I think I was where you were at, where you're like, it's going to be pushed back. We're fine. But I am also just like so fucking ready for some justice for Tammy and JJ and Tyler, Like, I cannot tell you. I mean, we're covering Laurie Vallow and, and Chad Daybell's cases, right? Like, they're, they're what's happening right now. But I cannot tell you how much I am excited for a day when I don't even fucking think about Laurie Vallow and Chad Daybell. I'm excited for them to fade into obscurity and for everyone to forget who they are and for them to be the no one pieces of garbage that they are. Yeah. And be revered that way. And for people to be able to, like... Really focus on preserving Tammy and JJ and Tylee's legacies, as well as Charles. I don't know if we're ever going to get to see a trial for Charles because, depending on the outcome with Laurie, they might choose not to try her because if she has life in prison, what's the point? Unless Arizona was going to pursue the death penalty, I can't see why they would try her if she got life in prison, if there was no parole. Yeah. So we might not ever see that case, but like, I'm really, I'm looking forward to the next phase where we're really just. Preserving the legacy of people who had really horrible things happen to them and focusing on them versus what happened to them. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And for those that are a little worried, like, oh, what if she does get acquitted? She still has a trial over here in Arizona waiting for her. So, like, I don't think there's any world where she's going to get out of both of these. I don't. I don't think there is. No. So as a reminder, I know we mentioned it. We have a section of our website devoted to this case. You can see the comprehensive timeline and everyone involved in the case. While you're on our website, too, you can submit questions about this case. Or if you'd like us to cover something else, you can go ahead and put that down and we'll try to add it to one of our future episodes. Thank you for those that have already. They've been very helpful. Yeah. And if you happen to come across one of our posts on this case, feel free to ask your questions there, too. And we'll put them in our stories or our next post or things like that, because that's helpful. You know, say you're not a person who's like surfing the web and you're just living in Instagram stories as sometimes I am. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Well, with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. And as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes, you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching sasquatch. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you. (laughs) They're scared, but also... They're saying now that she can't make the claim for ineffective counsel. And that's one of the reasons why Marky Mark, Mark means is gone, <laughs> right? Is because this way she couldn't say, But I had ineffective counsel because I have this person who's vastly unqualified to do this, right? They're like, No, no, we we advised her to do a continuance and she just still decided this. And they're putting it in the public record that they tried All and right. she said no. I killed Amanda with Marky Mark. Going back to the the expert on evil doers.
1: Oh. <laughs> I feel like that.
0: That would come from Marky Mark. Yeah, that seems like a filing from him. It's almost <laughs> like he like slipped it in and like forged someone's signature. I am absolutely not saying he did that. But it's so silly. I imagine it like written in crayon. No, I imagine it in Comic Sans. <laughs> you and your Comic Sans. <laughs> or like uh what is that? Papyrus? It looks <laughs> like oh, it's like, like old timey. Yeah. yeah. And he put it on like <laughs> he went to like a Kinko's FedEx and got like fancy paper that has like a design on just one side of it, you know, and he like Ooh. typed it up and printed it on that. But it's printed like down at the bottom for some reason. Like mm. wrong. Yeah, like it's um horizontal. no, it's landscape. I again i'm just breaking amanda today because like oh i miss him i don't (laughs) you know what i miss i miss that whenever he filed anything he would always okay so where we for the most part get our filings is from the idaho website Mm -hmm. and for like the idaho courts website and they will often not have a lot of information but you could always rely on Mark Means to attach something he shouldn't have attached so then you would get more information where like, it would be like an email trail between like him and Rob Wood where he's like asking for something and he like, and and like Mark Means is wrong in this situation and he's like, I've attached it and it's like, I don't know why you did that it's not, it doesn't behoove you to do this but thank you for the intel, I appreciate that I miss that and that is all Oh, I was thinking it's Twitter, too. All the weird stuff he'd put on that. I really want good justice. I know. And I think that... I wanted the comedy show on the side. <laughs> the comedy show was fine at first. But if we want justice, then we need... I know. Real attorneys who know what they're doing, doing, like, solid work. That's true. I want Laurie to have a fucking amazing defense team. Well, they're trying. They're like, please let us do our job. And she's like, nah, bro. Yeah. Like, I want her to have an amazing defense team and still lose. That's what I wish for her. Yeah. I mean, that's what's going to happen. I think Marky Mark will be back onto Twitter after the trial saying what he would have done differently. Oh, you think after the trial he's going to do it? (laughs) You think I'm it's going to be after? This is the second episode of Amanda being incredibly generous. He, there's no way he's going to be doing a play by play. I would have done this different. I would have done that different. You think he's going to take time out of his day to go sit there though? No. Yeah. I think he's going to read people's updates and be like, "Oh, okay. I would have done it like this. So he's like, not even going to, it's not even going to be a first person annoyance. It's like <laughs> a true keyboard warrior. I just uh-huh. want him to upload something in Cran and my life will be complete. In horizontally, yeah, perfect, <laughs> okay. gorgeous. Well, back to the real stuff. Sorry, Marky Mark. Okay, some of this might go at the end. <laughs> Can we be experts on evildoers? Do we qualify? I think so. You know, I think so. I've got a good moral compass. I became a doctor in last week's episode. Oh yes, is there's nothing we could do about it? So, uh- <laughs> I'll meet you there, Roblin. <laughs> I'll be there in Bells. That's how we're going to be inside of the case to understand and see what's going on. But can I tell you, when I hear expert on evildoers, do you know what it makes me think of? What? It makes me think of the occult specialist from the Satanic Panic that had very whim-whamsy educational backgrounds and credentials. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that Welner has, like, not great credentials, because, like, a search of him pulls up a plethora of things he's been involved in. So he clearly has credentials and also, like... If you're a person was on was on a panel that talks about forensic peer review, which is literally making sure people are doing things as they should in t- research wise. Yeah. OK, I'm feeling like you're a legit person, but you would hope someone did that background check. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. <laughs> you never know. But I will say expert on evildoers it feels a little loose a little love the word haughty i think for everyone who wanted to be in the trial to be there it would need to be a taylor swift sized stadium you know oh god there's so many people yeah it's a lot of people they'd be in less glitter but it'd be a lot of people wouldn't be as cool looking justice is always cool looking she, she just wants to hint to everyone that we went to taylor swift no i no, i also it's more <laughs> that's the that's the frame of reference i have for like giant venue is like, I think a 70,000 person stadium would probably fit just amount, the amount of people who would want to attend to be able to like view this. In Idaho? <laughs> don't act like you wouldn't go. I would have a reservation though. Because you don't want to go to Idaho again or because? Yeah, they think like, I'm an alien there when I walk around. Fair. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> or someone in the portal told her to, you know, like, I think those are the only options from now on. Does she even have it? She doesn't have a closet now, though. Where's her portal? I don't know. Like a corner portal. A portal. I hate myself. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Justice is always cold looking.